0: Well, today we begin a new sermon series. We're entitled Questions That God Asks. Questions That God Asks. We oftentimes go to the scripture with questions of our own, looking to find answers to some of life's issues and difficulties. Uh, but did you know that in the Bible there are questions that God asks of us? That questions that God and Jesus ask of the people in scripture. And so, while we go to this book for answers, over the next eight weeks, we're actually going to go to this book for questions. Questions that are asked of people in the biblical narrative, questions that I would suggest to you are also worth asking ourselves. And if we're going to begin a new sermon series about questions, why not start at the beginning of the Bible? Uh, In the book of Genesis, we have the very first recorded question that God ever asks a person. Uh, Before the scripture that we read this morning, in the first two chapters of Genesis, uh, it's the story of creation. Uh, You might remember how that God spoke everything into being, from light to lizards. and, And God spoke it into being, and then God said that it was good. But then God decided to take dust from the ground and using that dust in the ground formed the first man. And when God looked at that handsome hunk, God said, that is very good. Very good. And so then God took that first man and put that first man in the middle of a beautiful, big garden and God told that first man to work in the garden and to take care of the garden but then it says that god saw that that man needed a partner and and needed a helper and despite all of the birds of the field of the air and all of the animals of the field that god had already created and called good apparently those were not good enough for this first man and so we're told that uh, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and then God approved on 1.0 and created woman, right? And so together they were partners and helpers, and the Scripture says that they were naked, but not ashamed. Naked, but not ashamed. In our scripture lesson this morning, apparently one of those creatures that God made, a serpent, strikes up a conversation with the first woman. Now, we're going to get to the very first question that God asks of humanity, but in my personal opinion, the first question that humanity should have asked of God is what's up with the talking snake? I mean, uh, fables have animals that talk, but but that doesn't happen in real life. So why in the world do we have this talking snake here? And yet if you read through the Bible, there seem to be other scriptural evidences... ...that there was a time, perhaps, when animals spoke. In Job chapter 12, for instance, you read about how that there was a time when animals actually spoke... I don't know. All I know is that the first woman doesn't seem really alarmed or doesn't seem really afraid that a serpent comes up and begins a conversation with her. But I assure you, that would have been some cause for concern for me. It's as if this text isn't really concerned about a snake that talks. The writer of the text doesn't seem like that's a big deal, and so the writer doesn't attempt to explain why there might have been a time where a snake spoke. It's as if what is really important to the writer is not the fact that this serpent is speaking, but what is important is the human response to the possibilities that this speaking serpent represents. It's amazing to me that the serpent forevermore has gotten this bad rap as being evil when there is no evidence in the text itself that this serpent is evil at all. In fact, we're told in the chapter just before this that every single thing that God created was good. And so it seems to me that it's not so much that this serpent is a bad snake but it is to suggest that even the very things that God created and called good can sometimes, despite being good, seduce us away from the life that God intended uh, for what God desires for each one of us. It doesn't take bad things to pull us away from God. Sometimes it can be the things that God has created and called good that we allow to influence us in bad ways. Well, the serpent here comes to the first woman, and the serpent overstates things a bit. I mean, the serpent said, Didn't God say to you that you couldn't eat any tree any, of any tree in the entire garden? But that's not what God said uh, to the first man. You remember how that God put the first man in the garden and said that you need to work in the garden and you need to take care of the garden and you can eat from any tree in the garden except for one. It's the one in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not supposed to eat of that tree and on the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And so the serpent here is overstating things, saying things that, that, that God did not say. And I don't know if the serpent didn't know. Maybe the serpent just overheard the geckos squeaking, you know, and, and maybe they thought that they heard that they couldn't eat of any tree. Did you know geckos squeak? I looked that up. Um, they squeak. But um, did Maybe, maybe the serpent heard something. Maybe there was a rumor going around the garden that you couldn't eat of any tree, but that's not at all what God said. God said there's only one tree that you can't eat of. And so the woman rushes to God's defense here and says that's not what God said. God said that there was one tree in the garden that we can't eat of and we can't even touch it because on the day that we do it, we shall surely die. Well, here's the woman overstating what God said. God never said that you couldn't touch the tree. God simply said in the previous chapter that you can't eat of the tree. So why did the first woman add that part that you can't even touch the tree? I suspect that the woman added that part is because she knows what you and I know, that if you don't want to eat the dessert, don't put it in your hand. As soon as you put that dessert in your hand, guess what? It's decidedly more difficult not to eat it. And so the woman here is aware that there's only one rule in the garden. There's only one prohibition. And it's that you can't eat of this one particular tree. And she is wise enough, smart enough to know that the best way for me not to eat of the tree is to not to even touch the fruit of the tree. And then the snake says to her, you won't die if you eat that fruit. In fact, if you eat that fruit, what will happen is that you will actually become more like God. And you will have knowledge between good and evil. You see, God created a boundary uh, in order to keep the first man and woman safe... But the snake is suggesting that God created that boundary to keep you dumb. You don't, God doesn't want you to be more like God. And and that's why He told you not to eat of that fruit. But if you eat it, everybody wants to be more like God, right? So the end would justify the means, right? I mean, he told you not to eat it, but you know God really wants you to be more like God. So there's no harm in you taking a bite. And so the woman begins to think about it. I find it interesting that she doesn't go to God and say, Hey, I was having a conversation with the serpent today, and, and this is what he said, and I'd like a little bit more information but, but she doesn't do that at all. She begins to think about everything that the serpent has said. She begins to see how desirable the fruit appears. She begins to consider what it would like to be wiser in the ways of God. And she decides to eat of that fruit. She decides to listen to the voice of the created rather than the voice of the creator. And she eats it. And her husband, who was with her, also ate of it. And then, in that moment, they realized that everything had changed, that the world began to look different. That they realized for the first time that they both were naked. and, And now they're both ashamed of their nakedness. That nothing feels right. Nothing feels the same. Nothing looks the same. And then all of a sudden, here comes God. It's like God is strolling through the garden in the afternoon. It's like God's original desire was to be that intimate and that close to us. And as soon as... They hear God walking in the cool of the evening breeze. They run and they hide in the bushes. And it's at this point that God asks the first question ever recorded uh, for a human being. And God said, where are you? Now it wasn't a where are you as if where are you? I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've gone. That wasn't the kind of question at all. It was sort of like what Miss Nancy and I were trying to communicate in the sermon today. If you've ever played hide and seek with kids before, I I took on the role of the kid, but most of our kids are not really good when they're really small. They're not really good at hiding, are they? I mean, you you walk into a room and you immediately know that there they are standing behind the curtain. Uh, nobody's fooled by that. They, they are terrible at hiding. The adults always know where they are, and yet, what do we do? We walk through the room and we say, "Where are you? I, 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 I don't. Where where could you be? Where's Tommy? Where's Tommy?" And we're not doing that because we don't know where they are. We're saying that because we want them to know that our desire is to find them. We want our kids to know that our desire is to come to them, that we're seeking them, that we want to be where they are. We want them to know that they may be hidden, but we want desperately to find them. And I think that's exactly what God was doing in the Scripture today. God is walking through that garden and God knows where they are and God knows what has happened. God knows that there's been a distance that's been created between the two of them and and God knows that God does not desire or want that distance and so God is seeking them out. God is letting them know that I'm looking for you. Now I've often thought about what Adam and Eve might have been thinking when God asked that question, where are you? I mean, I guess they could have been thinking, well, we've just broken, we had one job, and that was to not break that one rule, and now we've broken it, and now God's about to punish us. And so maybe they're so fearful, maybe they're hiding in fear because they think that God is going to punish them. And yet, there's no evidence in Scripture that at any point before this time, those two, first man and woman, had ever feared anything, that they'd ever been ashamed of anything, that they'd ever seen God be angry or upset. And so there is a very real sense that when they heard those words, where are you, that they knew that that was nothing more than the love and the grace of God that said something has happened something has created a a, a big gap between me and you, and I don't want that gap to be there. I, I want to come where you are. I want you to know I'm looking for you. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I want to be with you. I want you to know that I'm not going to wait for you to come to me after you've made this mistake. I want you to know that I'm coming to you. God wants them, God knows that something has happened. And then Adam pipes up and says, well, we were naked, so we hid from you. And I just would say to Adam, you've always been naked. I mean, you, you were naked before, something just happened and now you're aware of your nakedness. And, and that's essentially what God is saying when God asks the second question Who told you you were naked? Whose voice did you listen to that drove you further away from me instead of bringing you closer to me? How would you know that you're naked? How would you now, why would you now have shame if if you hadn't listened to that voice? And so that's what God says. Who told you that you were naked? Now, you may doubt talking snakes. Um, I got nothing for you there. I, I find it hard to believe myself. But surely you won't doubt that there are voices in the world today that seek to create a greater distance between you and the God who loves you surely there, there are voices that you listen to and that I listen to that, that, that cause us to be fearful and that cause us to hide ourselves. We hide ourselves from ourselves, we hide ourselves from other people, and we hide ourselves from God. We try to act like everything is in control when our worlds are chaos. We try to act like we're happy and content when inside we're experiencing deep and profound sadness and depression. We are constantly listening to voices that create a greater distance between us and other people and us and God. And the good news is this that whatever you've done that causes you to to hide, whatever you've done that causes you to experience shame, or whatever you've done that causes you to experience fear and guilt, God loves you so much that God's not going to wait for you to figure it out in your own head and then go back to God. God is saying, where are you? I'm looking for you. I desire to be in relationship with you. Whatever it is that's caused this separation, whatever it is that's caused you to hide from me, I'm coming for you. And I'm coming in grace. And I'm coming in love. There is a story of grace here. You remember that God did say to Adam that if you eat of that tree, that on the day that you will eat it, you surely will die. You know, any time that we sin, any time that we we fail, or any time that we fall, there are consequences to it. Uh, and, And there were consequences here in the Scripture. But the first instance of grace recorded in Scripture is the fact that God did not kill the first man and first woman When they sinned, they were banished, but they were not destroyed. God, out of love and out of grace, came to them and did not give them what they deserved. But God expressed love and grace as God came to them. What are you hiding from? What voice are you listening to? might God be reaching out to you today? Saying, where are you? I love you. I'm coming to you.